0: Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. It is amazing to see your faces, like full of faces. This is the first time I've actually worn lipstick in months, so this is great. So I'm just going to say a brief prayer. Because I want to invite the full presence of the Holy Spirit to come in this place that any hindrance, any chaos, any thoughts that are not of him would be taken into authority. So, Lord, we welcome your presence here. Holy Spirit, we just ask for an increase an awareness of who you are in us, of who Jesus is, and who we are in him. Let your word go forth unhindered today. Let it fall upon soils that have been prepared, the hearts who belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this season, with all of the challenges, has given us ample time to really reflect on what we truly value, our core values, what really matters to us. Several of us have taken inventory of what really matters in life. When I was a teenager, I came home and I saw fire trucks and um, police cars surrounding our house and my heart sank because my brother and sister were there and they were, they were alone. And I rush up there and they were across the street. They were safe and sound, thankfully, but what had happened? My brother and sister were seated in the living room and they hear a crash in the kitchen. So when my 12 year old brother went to investigate. He hears a hissing noise coming from the stove, a gas stove. He looks behind it. In that moment, it exploded in his face. Miraculously, he sustained no injuries. His eyelashes were gone. His hair was burned off right to here, and he had a pink glow. But it, it was a miracle that he sustained no burns. But as he's leaving the kitchen, he yells to my sister, grab something valuable, and get out now!" And so, his 12-year-old mind looks around for the most valuable things, and he grabs his skateboard and his video game console, and he gets out of the house. (laughs) My poor cat was not on the list. (laughs) But fortunately, the fire was contained, the cat was scared out of his mind, but the cat lived. In that moment of crisis, The values of a 12-year-old boy were skateboard, video games, and my sister, thank God. But our values, they determine how we live, how we conduct ourselves. We prioritize, we defend, and we protect what we value. Next week, we kick off a new series called Masterclass. I'm looking forward to this. We will be studying the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' ultimate masterclass in the school of life how to truly live the good life. Maybe you're sitting here today or listening online and you say, I truly value, I love the word of God. I love the teachings of Jesus. Maybe that's your value, but maybe you're listening and you're, you don't value the word of God because how can someone 2,000 years ago relate to me here in 2020? How do the words of an ancient book, how are they relevant in our world today? I mean, we've advanced as a society, right? What do we know now that they can't add to? So isn't it reasonable to think that the Bible is outdated and irrelevant? And some even believe the teachings of the Bible to be repressive, a force that is holding us back. I've had conversations with people who believe this, and they... Are opposed to the teachings of the Bible because they believe that it's keeping us from moving forward. How do we approach these views? So our message today is entitled, Relevant Words to a Thirsty Soul. We're going to approach this message with the focus on two questions. Are the teachings of the Bible still relevant today? And how can we be sure? And secondly, if so, how exactly are we expected to live out those teachings? So let's turn our attention to the text. Here in John 7, the festival of the tabernacles or the festival of booths is in full swing. This is a joyous festival, one of the most joyous festivals of all of the ones that the Israelites celebrate. And it's held after harvest, and God commanded them to build booths when they celebrate this festival. And they do this as a remembrance, a reminder that God had brought them out of Egypt. And they lived in tents for 40 years, completely dependent on him. So this is the setting for John chapter 7, starting with verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. And he did this emphatically, loudly. He didn't just talk to a select few. He wanted everyone to hear what he had to say. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his or her heart will flow rivers of living water. Now what the scripture doesn't tell us here is that in that time, there was also something called the water ceremony. And this was a very elaborate ceremony where some believe they were commemorating the um, time in Exodus 17, where God had provided water for a bunch of really thirsty Israelites by letting it flow from a rock. So the priest takes this gold pitcher and he proceeds to the pool of Siloam, hopefully I said that right, and then he takes the pitcher, gathers the water, and the people recite the words from Isaiah. And this is amazing. It's a picture of Jesus right here. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then they bring this water back, and they are singing and celebrating, and the, the priest pours the water out on the altar before the Lord, thanking him for providing water for them and then praying that he will provide more rain in the coming year. So this is the backdrop, the celebration of God's provision of water. And um, so this is Jesus standing up in this moment, and he's crying out these words, and it stops everyone in their tracks. So when they heard these words, some of the people, sorry, it's not there. So when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And others said, well, no, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ really supposed to come from Galilee? Hasn't the scripture told us that he comes from Bethlehem? He's the offspring of David. They were the skeptics. What they didn't know is that Jesus did fulfill those prophecies. So there was a division among the people. Some of them actually wanted to lay hands on Jesus in that moment, but no one did. It wasn't his time yet. So there were officers there. And they had been sent there to arrest Jesus. The Pharisees and the chief priests had sent these officers to arrest Jesus, and the officers come back empty-handed. The officers said, "Why did you not bring him?" And the officers answered, "No one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man." So they spoke correctly in saying... No one ever spoke like this man because the words and life of Jesus are unique in every way. C.S. Lewis, he calls it a trilemma. The words and the life of Jesus demonstrate this either he's a man that is a liar and therefore not a teacher of moral truth, he's a lunatic and therefore not a life to emulate, or he truly is Lord. He truly is who he claims and displays to be. The people that had heard him, they recognized that there was something unique about his words. But not just that, there was something unique about him. He taught with an authority that flowed out of his being, piercing the hearts of those who heard him. With his words, he calmed a storm. He sent demons fleeing. He raised the dead. He healed the sick and he forgave sinners. Indeed, no one has ever spoke like this man. The words of Jesus were relevant in those days at the temple and at the celebration. Are they still relevant today? Well, the first reason that Jesus is and will be forever relevant is that he made unique claims to truth and contrary to popular belief, truth, matters truth matters there is a movement now a culture that has developed it's given birth from postmodernism. it has moved past that to a post-truth culture and this is a dangerous ideology a dangerous mindset to embrace because what it does it denies or it places more importance on emotions and personal beliefs than it does on objective facts. So be on guard against this mindset, because the mindsets have a way of filtering their way into the church, and we don't even know it. We start to act out of emotion, we don't realize that there's truth, and we're we're just feeling a certain way. One of the great challenges we now face, Ravi Zacharias pointed this out, is finding out how to reach a generation that listens with its eyes, and thinks and believes with its feelings. One of the results, excuse me, um, I've already stated that. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. God made us with emotions. I'm so thankful he did. Otherwise, we'd be cold, heartless robots. We need emotions to experience the fullness of life. They are very important. But they were never designed to be a GPS for our lives. Lisa Turker says, feelings are indicators. They're not dictators. We may feel a certain way, but if what we feel contradicts truth, then it's our feelings that need to shift. Our emotions need to shift, not our view of reality. When a pilot is in a plane, and he's flying his plane into clouds, he can experience something called spatial disorientation. Once he loses sight of the horizon and the ground, those are his points of referencing for knowing if he's level. Once he loses sight of those points, he begins to experience something that he feels like he's flying straight, but he's actually nose down. Or he feels like he's tumbling in and over in, but He's actually straight. This is very dangerous. So the pilots are trained to trust their panels, to read the the instrument panel, because if they don't, they could die. Our truth is like that instrument panel. It helps us navigate life when our emotions, when we can't trust our emotions, we can trust the truth to guide us. So, if truth matters, then we owe it to ourselves to search out which worldview or which belief system is influencing the way we think, and we need to find out if it is indeed true. Caesar, he looked at Jesus, and he said, What is truth? It's a great question, and it's one that our world is deeply wrestling with. So Ravi Zacharias, he offered three tests for the truth of a worldview. Is it logically consistent? Is it empirically adequate? In other words, does it sufficiently deal with the evidence that we have? And is it existentially relevant? In other words, does it make a difference in real life? And the third one, that third test is what concerns us today. The Christian worldview. It's ultimately based upon Jesus as attested in the life of believers and also in the Bible. The Bible claims to be the written word of God, and it attests that Jesus is the living word of God. He is the, third, the second person in the Trinity, the son of God. So scripture tells us that the entirety of God's word is truth, his word is a lamp to guide our feet, a light for our path. All of his stru- instructions are trustworthy. They are are established forever and ever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word, it will never pass away. So what we can firmly understand is that eternal truth is eternally relevant. The truth claims of Jesus that we find in Scripture, they're so vast and they're so important that they cannot not be relevant. You see, the basic questions of human life, they've never changed from day one of humanity, and it'll go on. These questions are, what, or where does it all come from? What is the purpose and meaning of life? How can I be a good person? And what happens when I die? These are the fundamental questions that shape the world and our lives and which are never not relevant. Throughout history, these most basic questions remain the same no matter how advanced we become as a society. If you've been to Harvard, one of the arches, archways, has engraved on it these words, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. How many students and faculty pass under those words every day in pursuit of knowledge but never knowing the truth that sets them free. The only truth that sets them free. Those engraved words, they're the words of Jesus taken from John 8:31 and 32. And when you take it in context, it says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. To be set free by the truth, you need to know it. And to know it, you need to abide in the words of Jesus because by abiding in his words, we truly come to know him. There will always be those who don't believe, who question. it. Yeah. You know what? Tim Keller says to these people, describe to me the God that you don't believe in, the God that you reject Because maybe I don't believe that God either. Because the one I believe in, the God I believe, he knows you by name. He's the one who formed you in your mother's womb. He's the one who knows everything about you. And he loves you. And he's the one who says, Come, because I know you are thirsty. I know you are weary. Come to me and drink. When we were in South America one time, Barry was doing a triathlon back in his glory days, a triathlon, (laughs) and uh, it was a very difficult race. The terrain was mountainous, and it was quite hard, and usually they give you cool water or Gatorade at the end of these races. Well, this particular country gave warm Coca-Cola, and his body was craving water and there was no water around. And just as our bodies crave and thirst after water, our souls were created to crave and thirst after the living God. And only Jesus is able to satisfy the longing of our soul. Only Jesus. He himself claims this. And no one else even attempts to make that claim. You see, all the other founders of the world religions They have claims saying, here is the way to God. Here is some new truth about God. Or here is how to live the life of God. But only Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So to say that all religions are fundamentally the same, it's not true. The uniqueness of his life and his teachings stand alone in a world searching for meaning and purpose. He alone provides the true answer for the desperate condition of our world. So what we see is that the word of God is and always will be relevant. First of all, because truth matters and the Bible contains the words of eternal truth that direct themselves to the great questions of life. And secondly, it's relevant because we all have thirsty souls, and Jesus is the sole remedy. So now we approach our next questions where some might say, well, that's all well and wonderful, but how on earth does Jesus expect me to live out everything he teaches? I mean, how can any human do that? So one could argue that his words are relevant to truth, but are they still relevant to life? Because they seem impossible to live out. How can anyone do it? So we're going to explore that more in the upcoming weeks with the master series, but or masterclass series. But initially, we could say this: in a sense, you you are right. I would say to that person, you're absolutely right. We, in our humble human ability is so weak to be able to carry out these teachings. We cannot do it in our own strength. And those who try to do it in their own strength and don't recognize it, they develop a religious pride and arrogance that comes out of accomplishing something when they don't realize that it's not them who's supposed to be doing it, God has another, Jesus has taught us there's another way. In verse 37, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The Greek verbs here could actually be interpreted as let him come and keep coming, let him drink and keep drinking. This is neat because these reveal the desire of his heart to have a relationship with us. It's not a one-time sip and gone and you go live your life the way you want for not acknowledge him again. It's a continual coming back, getting refreshed. He is the source. This reveals that the invitation of Jesus is one of continual relationship. Every day, coming back to him, getting in his presence, receiving all we need. And while we're there, we're listening to his heart. We're, we're developing that relationship, and we're recognizing that he is the wellspring of our life. He is the center and the source of everything that we need. Have you all noticed how draining this season has been? How weary it has made us become at times? Watching the news reports sucks the life right out of you. (laughs) And more than ever, we need to respond to Jesus' invitation to come and keep coming, drink and keep drinking. Even before COVID hit the United States, I sensed an urgency in my spirit like something was up, and I just felt like the Lord drawing me in, and so I put my Bible in front of me and would just seek his heart, and I kept hearing him say, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So I had to shut out all voices in that moment and just listen to him to see what he wants, what his desires were, what the desires of the Father's heart for our world really was and so in doing that other ladies were doing the same thing and then when we came together in prayer we were able to prophetically pray into events before they even happened it was amazing to watch things unfold and then we realized wow well we know what god's heart is in this because we prayed the opposite of what was going on so god is working in this situation Jesus is building his church. No threat, seen or unseen, is going to stop Jesus from accomplishing his purposes in this generation and the generations to come. So moving on, there's just something amazing in the next verse, um, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Living waters flow where Jesus is enthroned. Excuse me. The moment we ask Jesus to be king of our hearts, to come and be Lord of our lives, surrendering everything to Him, those living waters start to flow. John tells us that it's the Holy Spirit whom Jesus is speaking of here. The description here is a beautiful image of the Holy Spirit flowing through us, bringing life, nurturing growth, and bringing transformational change to everything he touches. So now because Jesus is the center and the wellspring of your life, this is cool. You become a conduit, conduit of the life which begins to flow out of you into your surroundings, to people's lives around you, to your jobs, your workplaces. The Holy Spirit work does his work in you, and he flows through you to touch other people. Our life in Christ requires faithful dependence upon the Holy Spirit within us and upon us. Someone we know very well named Pastor Jack says, the Holy Spirit within us is for the conduct of our lives. And the Holy Spirit upon us is for the mission we are called to fulfill. There's no other way around it. This is how we are empowered to live out the Word of God every day of our lives. God himself takes up residence within us, working in us, producing in us both the desire and the ability to do what pleases him As we lean into him, as we receive from the Holy Spirit, we learn to walk with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, and to understand his ways. Only then are we able to love that grouchy neighbor that is really difficult (laughs) to love. He enables us to do the things that are impossible to do in human effort. And guess what? He gives us grace that we need when we mess up, because we all mess up. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. So I believe we've entered a time that more than ever, we need the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, transforming us, removing those obstacles in our lives that are keeping us from growing and becoming the people of God that we were made to be. We need the power of the Holy Spirit upon us to be able to walk and boldly proclaim our faith, to live it out in a world that is strongly opposed to what we we believe. And we need the Holy Spirit to come in power to see the miracles, the signs and the wonders, to experience what the disciples experienced when the Holy Spirit fell upon them in Pentecost, they went out of there. They didn't care what threats, what persecution they, they experienced. They had received a power that enabled them to face anything and to even die for what they believed. Oh Lord, send your power. Send that anointing that we need to be able to stand in this hour firmly planted, firmly rooted in the knowledge of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on all who are listening. I cry out for the Isaiah 43 reign, that you would send it, that it would come upon our sons and our daughters, that they would flourish in this land, that we would no longer be satisfied with the ways and the things of this world, but we would have our eyes firmly set upon you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We welcome you into the experience of our lives we welcome you to come and transform us completely to accomplish what you want to accomplish thank you for resetting our values thank you for aligning our hearts with yours come in your strength and your power because we can't do it on our own we surrender our lives to you we surrender our hearts to you please come for those of you who are listening if you're here or if you're online and you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, this invitation to come and drink is open to you. Amen. He is beckoning you to come. And you lay your down your life and you surrender all, but what you receive, oh my goodness, it is so much better than anything else you would ever surrender. So we're gonna pray a prayer. And if you wanna ask Jesus in your heart, then this is the prayer. Pray this with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I've heard your invitation to come. And I come now recognizing that this thirst in me only you can satisfy. I am sorry for the things that I've done wrong in my life. Will you please forgive me? and I turn away from anything that I know is wrong. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. And thank you that you have given me forgiveness and that I have now received the gift of your Holy Spirit. Come into my life